You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open to our scripture reading this morning. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. The text for the sermon this morning is found in the first four verses of this chapter. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says a lot about the virtues of listening. For instance, you can turn to just about any page in the book of Proverbs and you can find there a word of wisdom about listening. And so it can be interesting, it can be helpful, it can also be wise sometimes just sit and listen to people talk. And as you listen to people talking, especially as you listen to believers talking, sometimes they'll talk about God. And as they do so many times, they will talk about God the Father, or they'll talk about God in general. They'll also talk perhaps a good deal about the Lord Jesus. All this is great. But many times, we don't talk very much about the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you were to listen to Christians talking about the Holy Spirit, when they do, you might almost wonder if they really believe that He is a person. Not a human being, but a person. Right? We talk about the three persons of the Trinity. Sometimes people will accidentally refer to Him as it. As if the Holy Spirit is an impersonal power rather than a person, the third person of the Trinity. Well, on this Pentecost morning, we're going to remind ourselves of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. We all know that we really need Him. Without Him and without His work in our lives, it would be impossible for us to become Christians And it would be impossible for us to remain Christians. 
And so the Holy Spirit lives in all of us who believe. And what is it exactly that He does? Well, the Scriptures tell us that, first of all, He creates faith in our hearts. He turns hearts of stone into beating hearts of flesh. And once faith is there, He keeps that faith going and He makes it stronger. The Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit has something to do with our prayers. He makes our prayers perfect. We're sinful people. And our prayers need cleaning up before God will accept them and listen to them. So the Holy Spirit does that. Of course, there are other things too. But I think you can already see that we really need the Holy Spirit. He's not an add-on, optional sort of person. And we can praise God for the Holy Spirit. We can praise God for His work in us and for us. Today and every day. In our text this morning, we, we read about the moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. After the Lord Jesus had ascended into heaven, the believers kept on meeting together. They had meetings where they would pray together, where they would encourage one another. And one of these meetings was held ten days after Christ's ascension. This was a Jewish feast day called Pentecost. One of the three important feasts for the Jews. Now, Pentecost was called the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. Pentecost marked the end of the grain harvest. Thousands of Jewish people from all over the world would descend on Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And on this special day, the apostles and other disciples were gathered together in a room meeting. All of a sudden, they heard a sound like a mighty wind, and they saw something like tongues of fire, and then they started to speak in languages that they didn't otherwise know. This was the coming of the Holy Spirit. He came and filled them up. Now, of course, someone could raise the question, how did they know it was the Holy Spirit? He didn't tell them when He came. Well, there were some clues that would have led them to that inevitable conclusion. Because the Holy Spirit was poured out on people who were very familiar with the Old Testament and what the Old Testament says about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, in passages like Genesis 1 and Ezekiel 37, we find wind associated with the Holy Spirit. And wind, of course, points us to the power of the Holy Spirit. And even though He is a person, we can and still must speak of Him not as being power, but as having power. Because, after all, He is God. In the Old Testament, in passages like Isaiah 66, we find fire associated with the presence of God and His Holy Spirit. And fire points us to the purity and cleansing of the Holy Spirit. God was sanctifying or setting apart these people. And finally, the speaking in different languages was also something that the Old Testament said would happen when the Holy Spirit came. And we didn't read the whole chapter 2, but if you read further on, Peter quotes from Joel chapter 2 in his Pentecost sermon. 
Now this speaking in different languages functioned in a number of different ways. And, and one of these ways that we don't often reflect on was that it was a warning to the people of Israel. The Old Testament prophets, and again you could refer to Isaiah, Isaiah 28, said that when God's people started hearing different languages in a miraculous way, well that was bad news for them. Because that was a sign of coming judgment. And the Jews would face God's judgment in 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., the Romans came and sacked Jerusalem. The temple was completely destroyed. And many, many people were killed. But there was another way in which these different languages functioned. And that was as a symbol of God's coming Universal church gathering work. Now at this point, and for the next few chapters in Acts, God is still focusing, still concentrating on the Jews. I'm sure there's a, a few proselytes added in there, but for all intents and purposes, they too, they're Jews. But in Acts 10, a shift takes place with Cornelius and the doors swing wide open to the church. The church becomes a spiritual home, not only for Jews, but also for Gentiles. And the different languages in our text this morning prophetically point ahead to that universal church gathering work. All of those things combined would have led the believers on that day to know right away that the Lord Jesus was filling them with the Holy Spirit. Now, ten days ago, when we worshiped together on Ascension Day, I mentioned the introductory words to the book of Acts. In the first verse of the book, Luke says that his previous volume was about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now the implication there is that this second volume, the book of Acts, it's all about what Jesus continued to do and to teach. It's really the acts of Jesus Christ through the apostles. And so as we look closer at our text this morning, we'll consider it from that angle. In other words, as he's filling the believers with the Holy Spirit, what is the Lord Jesus doing here? What is the Lord Jesus teaching here? A moment ago, we briefly considered the details of what was seen, heard, and said on Pentecost. You could say that was a bit of a, a close-up, a microscopic view, putting the text under a microscope. But now we're going to zoom out and we're going to take a what you could call a macro approach, a big picture approach. And as we do this, we'll see that there are at least three things happening here, three things that the Lord Jesus is doing. And these three things also impact our lives as believers today. <clears throat> the first thing that's happening here is that the Lord Jesus is keeping a promise. A promise made to His disciples. In Acts 1, verse 8, right before His ascension, He promised that the Holy Spirit would come on them and give them power. Power to be His witnesses all over the world. <clears throat> he gave basically the same promise before His death in, in John 14. 
John 14, verses 16 to 18, we read these words. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's this promise, which is given not just once, but several times that the Lord Jesus is keeping. He promised that they would have His Holy Spirit to give them power to be able to carry out their apostolic calling. He promised that they would have His Holy Spirit to to teach them what to say and, and what to believe. The Spirit would come and remind them of everything that He had taught them. And so they, in turn, would be able to teach others through their preaching and through their teaching and their writing. Today, like the believers of 2,000 years ago, we also have been given the Holy Spirit. Every true Christian believer has the Holy Spirit living in them. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord Jesus has also kept His promise today. But how can we know? How can we be assured that the Holy Spirit is really making His home with us individually? Well, consider another passage from 1 Corinthians, this time from 12 verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces fruit. The fruit of lips confessing the name of Jesus. The fruit of lives devoted to the Savior in service to God and to their neighbor. Simply put, when we believe in Christ Jesus as our Savior, as we must all do, we have the Holy Spirit abiding with us and He will produce fruit in our lives we can have the assurance that Christ has kept the promise He made so long ago to His disciples. Through His Spirit, He lives in us. And so we too, we can know that the Lord Jesus has not left us alone. Okay, that's all good. Well, Now let's ask the question, what difference does it make? What difference does knowing this and being assured of this, what difference does it make in how we live? Well, there are lots of different things we could look at, of course. But let's just take a couple. First, there's the teaching of Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I know some of you in Bible study have been studying Galatians 5, studying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So you know that this text right here, Galatians 5.25, comes in the context of the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Fruit produced by those who have had their old natures crucified with Christ. Putting the old nature with its passions and its desires to death, that is part of keeping in step with the Spirit. In other words, we can never 
be satisfied with the spiritual status quo in our lives. Can't picture the Christian life as being a plateau where you just, you make it to the top and hey, that's where you stay your whole life long. When we have struggles with sin, we can never think to ourselves, well, this is just the way it's always gonna be. It's always been this way. I just have to accept it. That's a kind of spiritual defeatism that does not fit with what the Bible says, brothers and sisters. In keeping with the promise, Christ's Spirit lives in us and He compels us to keep in line with Him, to keep in line with what He wants. By His Word and Scripture, He calls us to spiritual growth. He calls us to daily warfare with our sinful passions and desires. Never laying down the sword of the Spirit until the day the Lord Jesus calls us to peace in His presence. That's the first thing. Keep in step with the Spirit. The second thing is connected to the first. It's the teaching found in another letter of Paul. Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And again, this is in the context of putting to death the old nature and living out of the new nature in Christ. When we live self-consciously as people who are new creations in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is rejoicing. But when we choose to live as people who are still slaves to sin, and we still look at ourselves that way, then we grieve the Holy Spirit living in us. Paul gives all kinds of different ways to apply this. And you can look at that for yourself. It's all there in Ephesians chapter 4. For now, you just need to appreciate that the promise of Christ has been fulfilled. And we have to see that in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we have to live accordingly. And again, like I said in the sermon on Ascension Day, don't misunderstand me. This is not a matter of more rules and regulations. Brothers and sisters, this is simply being concretely guided by the Spirit through the Word to be who we are to be who we are in Christ and thereby to show our thankfulness and our love to the One who so exceedingly loved us first. This is about our sanctification. Let's now move on to something else the Lord Jesus was doing on the day of Pentecost. He filled the believers with His Holy Spirit in order to build His church On that Pentecost morning, there were only about 120 people who believed in the Lord Jesus. By the time the day was over, God had brought 3,000 more people to faith in Christ. That is amazing if you think about it. How did God do it? As we already noted, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit led the believers to speak in a variety of different languages. 
And in this miracle, God was working so that all those Jewish people from different countries, they would hear and they would understand the good news about Jesus Christ. They'd hear the gospel, not in some language that didn't really speak to their hearts, but they'd hear the gospel in a language that they had grown up with, the language that they thought with, the language that they dreamt with. They would hear it in their heart language. And so God opened their ears and their hearts. And so many people believed on that day. And those people who believed, the 3,000, they went back to their homes in various places and they told other people. And in this way, the Lord Jesus used the day of Pentecost to build His church very quickly. His program to see the Gospel spread to every corner of the earth got a jump start. We need to remember that this moment was special, never to be repeated again. Not only was this the kickoff to God's plan for global missions, it was also a time when the Bible was not complete as we know it today. So things are different today. Today, we live in an era where where global missions have been around for centuries. Today, we have the complete Bible, not only in our own language, but also in hundreds of other languages. In this kind of context, we shouldn't expect to see the Holy Spirit working in the exact same way He did on the day of Pentecost. Now, we shouldn't rule out the possibility that there might be similar situations. Similar, not exactly the same. I'm especially thinking of pioneering mission contexts that don't have a Bible translation available. There, perhaps, that's just a perhaps, the Holy Spirit might work in the same way today. I've heard of anecdotal evidence that suggests this this might happen. But in our own context, we shouldn't expect it or look for it. In our own context, we have the written Word of God in our own language. God uses the Bible to bring people to faith and to strengthen them in their faith. And through it all, by the power of His Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus continues to build and gather His church through the preaching of the Word and the working of the Spirit in hearts People are added to the church today. The special tongue speaking we see in Acts no longer has a place in the Christian church, except, as I mentioned, perhaps in special missionary situations. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it describes tongue speaking as being a part of a a stage in, in the church's history which can be compared to a child. As the child grows and matures, certain things get left behind. And among them, according to Paul, is the miraculous speaking in tongues. That doesn't belong to a mature church. Today is the day when the Lord Jesus no longer normally uses tongues to build His church. Yes, He still fills people with the Holy Spirit. He still works with His Word. And He does it all to build His church. He just does it in a different way that reflects the progress and the advance of redemptive history. 
and all of that when we consider how it impacts our lives. It again places the Word and the preaching of the Word before our hearts and lives. The Lord Jesus uses these things to build His church today. And therefore, we have to value these means of grace and make regular use of them. That places an onus not only on the congregation, but also on the preacher. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher from the 19th century, he once wrote a little poem about that. He said, It is an ill case when the preacher leaves his hearers perplexed Twixt the two to determine. Watch and pray, says the text. Go to sleep, says the sermon. From time to time, we preachers, we can observe heads nodding and and people falling asleep. Sometimes the the pastor hasn't even finished the introduction and and certain people are asleep already. And thankfully, this, this doesn't seem to happen too regularly here in Langley. And of course, lest we become prideful and start pointing fingers and saying, ah, he's talking about so-and-so. There's also daydreaming. And all of us are guilty of that, myself included. Daydreaming is no better. It just looks better. Because nobody can tell that you're not really paying attention. But in those cases where these things happen, whether it's daydreaming or sleeping during the preaching of the Word, the people who are doing this are responsible for what they're saying to and about the preaching of God's Word. But the minister can also bear some responsibility, and even a great deal of it. I understand that listening to a sermon, really listening in a meaningful way to a sermon, that's hard work. I'm not going to say it's easy. I know it's not. And I do try to make it easier. But I'm a man. I'm human. And for this reason, pastors appreciate constructive feedback. Now, not the kinds of comments that lob criticisms with with no insight on how to make things better, but constructive feedback. And we take these things seriously as listeners and preachers. By God's grace, we will grow together in the means of grace. And Christ will continue to build His church here. Well, let's now briefly look at the last thing that the Lord Jesus was doing on that day of Pentecost. When He filled the believers with the Holy Spirit, He was bringing glory to Himself. And actually, when we we look at it closer, He was also bringing glory to the other persons of the Trinity as well. The triune God was lifted up and exalted by His people on this day. Verse 11 of chapter 2 we find that the the pouring out of the Spirit led the believers to tell about the wonders of God. You know, they weren't talking about themselves and these miraculous gifts that they'd been given. They were talking about God and what He had done in and through the Lord Jesus. And when they did that, they were pointing everyone to God and bringing glory to Him. And if you skip ahead to the end of chapter 2, you see the same thing there as well. In verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe. Who were they in awe of? It was God, of course. And Luke tells us that from that point on, they continued meeting together and praising God, giving all the glory to Him. 
And today, brothers and sisters, we are spirit-filled believers. Of course, there are no other kind of believers. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. If you are a believer, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as such, we're called to bring glory to our God with our words and our thoughts and our entire life. Listen to God's word in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Even in the mundane things like eating and drinking, bring glory to God. Our lives here are not about bringing pride to ourselves building up our self-esteem. Our lives here are not about bringing pride to our family name or, or to our country or to whatever else. Our focus has to be entirely on the Lord and on His fame, His esteem, His glory. And as we do that, that will be the work of the Spirit of Christ in us, leading us to bring more and more praise to the One who saved us, the One who made us His own. Now, speaking concretely, there are many different ways that you can put this into practice in, in, your, in our lives. Just as one very general example, and you can apply that particularly in all kinds of different ways, think of how you speak. Are your words carefully chosen to always give credit where credit is due? We have to take care. So that when people, whether they're believers or not, when they hear us speaking, they know that we are heaven-bent on giving glory to our God and Savior. Brothers and sisters, without the Holy Spirit living in us, working in us and for us, without Him we'd be dead. We'd still be sons of the devil rather than sons of God. On this day of commemoration, we can truly thank God that the Holy Spirit was poured out. That He's also been poured out into our lives, making us so rich and so privileged. We can praise the Lord Jesus that He kept His Word and and believers have not been left on their own. He lives with us today. He lives in us today. And He will until the day He calls us home. And we can experience His presence in the most ultimate way. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.